2: Turn baby. yes yeah, Bears fans, this is Take the North.
0: It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run.
2: With your hosts, David Hawn.
3: I want to remind people, there is no award for... Coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares.
0: And Dan Wieter. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro.
1: We're going to take the North and never give it back.
3: Welcome to the Take the North podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Download, listen, and subscribe. Thanks for joining us today. I'm David Haw. From 670 The Score, The Mullion Hall Show, along with Dan Weederer from the Chicago Tribune and 670 The Score. Dan is at Hallis Hall apparently preparing for the <laughs> Halloween party and the costume party. The Bears will come this year disguised as a playoff contender. All dressed up and nowhere to go, or are they going places, Dan? What do you think?
0: Yeah, they're dressed up as in the hunt right now, right? At three and four, and, and an opportunity to, to to inject some surprising November relevance into their season if they can go to Dallas and replicate that effort that they had on Monday night. Those of us, uh, the, are you obviously, David, but the others that are seeing this on video, I've got a yeah, bale of hay behind me and the Lombardi Trophy, so it's uh, a festive atmosphere here in the midway at Hallis Hall in the middle of what has been an eventful week that will continue to be eventful. I have a feeling that by the time we get to sunday night we'll go whoa that was a a pretty action-packed seven days that we just went through
3: well you have had an action-packed a uh, few weeks and this is the <laughs> last road game in october has been quite a gauntlet you're off to Dallas after returning from New England. Are any family members accompanying you on the trip to Texas?
0: No, this is just me uh, this time, and so uh, hopefully all the the travel plans go smoothly. One more flight uh, in October there's a fourth road trip for the Bears this month. We talked about it at the start of the month, and and that's quite a quite a stretch to navigate through for a team like this. And if they can can squeeze one more victory out of this, you'd have to feel pretty good about it. Uh, certainly, I'm looking forward to a, a Saturday night at home soon here. To, to to be able to just kind of ease into a, a Sunday game and then get back to our regular rhythm. We've had these, the Bears have had to adjust twice in the last three weeks to short week games, right? With the Thursday nighter, then the long week for the New England game and then a, a quick turnaround for Sunday. So uh, the rhythms need to come back for the Bears and, and we'll see if they can get that going when we get to uh, week nine.
3: There's a lot to get through on this pod. We will talk about and break down the Robert Quinn trade. We will talk about the availability of players coming uh, off injured reserve and going on injured reserve. We'll talk about what the Cowboys have to offer this week in terms of health and how good they are. And how do you block Micah Parsons? There's a lot to get to, Dan. But the overarching big picture question, I don't know if we're going to be able to answer throughout this pod or by the end of it. But I do think this is the context for me this week, this Sunday at the Jerry Dome is that did, do they have to win this game? Do the bears have to beat the Cowboys to validate what happened on Monday night football? I don't know if I can adequately answer that yet. I go one day or one hour, I'll think yes. And the other hour I'll say no, but I do think, I I think people will look at this game and wonder if they lose it, does it invalidate what they watched in new England? And if they win it, certainly it's a huge huge endorsement of the football that we watched and and what happened in in out coaching bill belichick
0: yeah my answer is no that they don't have to win this game to validate what happened monday but they do have to play well right and i think that's where we just use the eye test sunday to figure out how competitive they are in this football game what it looks like are some of the the progress points that we saw at gillette stadium showing up again uh, on the road in a short week in Dallas. And so, look, there's going to be a lot to test here on both sides of the ball and special teams to see where the Bears are at in their ability to reset, refocus, recharge themselves. And and, and so now you got got a, a, a really fun test, in my opinion. And if you're looking at this uh, through the lens of a, a coach or a player inside this building, you see this as nothing short of a golden opportunity, right? For you to have the opportunity, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show, to get to four and four in an NFC where, where it's wide open right now, it's a golden opportunity. So, so handle your business on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in a way that allows you to attack the golden opportunity on Sunday with the, the, the requisite focus and energy and let's see what, what, what comes with the results.
3: With that as the backdrop, with that as the context, let's start off with our opening drive. It's time for the opening drive. Okay, so the Bears win Monday night, and that's a lot of momentum. That's a lot to digest. That's a lot to sift through in a football city. It's terrific that it happened. And then Tuesday is kind of like the adulation in Chicago and tempering of expectations and resetting the entire context for the season. Dan, and then Robert Quinn gets traded. And I think it was shocking to some players. We saw Roquan Smith become emotional. We know what it represents in terms of a team that is rebuilding like the Bears, giving up Robert Quinn for a fourth-round draft pick to a team from the Eagles, going for a Super Bowl, winning now, that kind of mentality. You were there. Yeah. Take us through the news breaking with Roquan Smith at the podium through Ryan Pohl speaking about what it all
0: means. So there's a contrast here, David, and I think there there are two things that we kind of have to – discuss at the same time. One of them is the actual trade, which is a, a simple business transaction in the NFL. But then we have to discuss the timing of the trade with everything that you just set up, right? The fact that they came back from New England riding this 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 awesome wave of energy, right? And, and, and feeling like, man, this is awesome. This is a really cool feeling to have to go on the road on a primetime stage and play that brand of football and win in that fashion. Now, all of a sudden, you've got something to go with, right? And then Wednesday, afternoon you felt the air literally come out of the building for a little while first when roquan smith is at the podium for his regular news conference and he came to that press conference knowing that robert quinn had been traded the rest of us in the room didn't know until it came across on twitter through a couple national reports that the trade was official and then when roquan was asked about it he had Trouble finding the words, right? He, he he got emotional, said it sucks, said he has so much respect for Robert Quinn and then kind of covered his eyes with his shirt and, and broke down in tears and had to end the press conference and leave the room, which was a, a clear snapshot of the emotional impact and the human side of what we talked about just a second ago, the transaction, the trade, is it's, it's a it's a line on a transaction report in the NFL, but it affects human beings, right? And we saw that firsthand. Roquan was an example of that. Ryan Poles, who came down and met with us for about 10 minutes, also showed that, right? It, it, it took a while to get past the 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 like, man, this sucks vibe to things and get Ryan to kind of discuss why he was excited about making this move because it gives them a a draft pick chip that they can use next April to hopefully add a potential starter and a a long-term difference maker to their roster and so juggling those two sides of the coin are really difficult today was another day out here where you're talking to Travis Gibson and Dom Robinson and other folks around the locker room who understand who Robert Quinn was as a teammate who Robert Quinn was as a team captain who Robert Quinn was as a leader of this football team and now he's gone and you have to quickly sort of deal with that while at the same time preparing to play a high-level football game on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys, not real easy, David.
3: Let's be realistic about what they're missing on the field before we look at the other big picture implications. Robert Quinn had one sack and three pressures this season. It wasn't his most productive of years. It was an off year. He tends to have a great year and then a drop-off. Now, That said, in fairness, we have to also recognize that according to some other statistics, there were only four edge rushers, I believe, that got more double teams this season than Robert Quinn. The point is that on this Bears defensive front, there's one objective, and that is to block Robert Quinn on every passing down. So football-wise, number one, I don't know if they'll miss his production, but they will miss his presence, if that makes any sense. And I do think that it is an opportunity for the guys that you mentioned, to step up and emerge. And I also think this Ryan Poles was able to make this trade because of the progress that Travis Gibson and Dominic Robinson have made in the first seven games. And without that progress, maybe he doesn't make this deal or maybe it doesn't resonate as loudly. Or I'm not quite sure, Dan, but I do think that. Their development helped convince him that now was the right time to make the move.
0: Well, look, you have to be detached from, from short-term impact when you're trying to put together a long-term puzzle. And Ryan Poles understands the emotions of this. He understands the emotions he himself felt in having to pull the trigger on a deal with Howie Roseman and the Eagles. But he also understands that it's his obligation and his responsibility as a general manager of the Bears to look long view. Right, and to take the long view and understand that this was a player that wasn't going to be uh, at his peak when the Bears become legitimate Super Bowl contenders again, and so the opportunity to get what they got back was absolutely, uh, in his words, made too much sense. Right, a can't pass deal here, and so why don't we take a listen to to kind of how Ryan Poles on on Wednesday afternoon just described at the outset what this uh, what what this deal was
1: and how it came about. So you, part of the tough thing with this job in this position are the tough decisions you have to make and I always feel like there's the emotional side um, the human part of it that you know you're affecting not only like a man um, but also his family and you're kind of shaking that all up Um, and I don't take that lightly at all and I'm sensitive to that Um, you also know that you're tweaking the fibers of your locker room um, and that's a big deal too And he meant a lot to that locker room, but I'm fully confident that the guys, especially on the defensive side, the Jalen Johnsons, the Eddie Jacksons, the Roquan Smiths, Justin Jones, those guys are going to continue to hold it down and, and be leaders, um, on that defense and help us continue to move forward. Um, then on the business side, you know, it just made too much sense, uh, for what we're trying to do, um going to allow us to continue to build a highly competitive roster. Um, I think the other thing, too, on the business side and really the football side is I just really trust You know, Gibson, Mohammed, Dom Robinson, uh, Kingsley Jonathan. Those guys are going to continue to do a good job.
0: I was very pleased to hear that Ryan had specifics of players that he felt could fill the leadership void immediately and, and singling out Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson and Justin Jones and Roquan Smith as guys that can carry this defense going forward tells us a lot about what he thinks of those guys and what kind of pulse he has on that defense right now, which is playing pretty good football, right, overall for, for, for most of the season. And so you've got answers there. And, and so Ryan Poles has to look at that and say, OK, I've got confidence that, that, that this is not going to be a huge void two or three weeks from now. Is it a void now? I think it is, David, and that's that's part of this equation.
3: A couple things I want to ask you if you agree with. Number one, I think that the fact that they're getting a fourth-round pick in return, it will be a lower fourth-round pick because the Eagles are pretty good. But I also think they look at a guy like Dominic Robinson, who was taking the fifth round, and think, well, that's a good investment because we could get a player who's going to make an impact, whether short or long-term, it's worth making this move because this is all about the future. The second thing is, Dan, is that they are picking up the $7 million or so yeah. in salary. And to me, for a team that's $130-some million dollars under the cap in the offseason coming up, I do think it's money well spent. It might be overspending, For a draft pick, but if it's a difference between a fourth and a fifth rounder, I think it's a wise investment. And the last point I want to know what you think of. He credited Ian Cunningham, his right hand man, who has experience with the Eagles organization with my which might have helped them navigate. Uh, some of the things and get through some of the details with Howie Roseman. And I do think it's no accident, number one, that it happened. And secondly, that he was given credit. Every time Ryan Poles has an opportunity to prop up Ian Cunningham, he has taken advantage.
0: So let me work backwards through those those three points that you made. Number one, I think that, that that relationship that Ian Cunningham has with Howie Roseman helps build trust into trade discussions, right? You've got honesty, you've got built-in rapport, you've got an ability to kind of sift through nonsense quicker and get to uh, what both sides obviously agreed was a fair deal. And so I think there is uh, an empowerment of Ian Cunningham that occurred immediately when he was hired in the winter. And there's a a bond and a relationship that Ryan and Ian have that is going to be important. With the direction that they're trying to set for this franchise, you can kind of think of those guys as one and one a uh, until further notice. And so uh, that, that was notable, in my opinion, that, that he brought that up and, and that Ian obviously had those relationships in Philadelphia to help get this thing across. The middle question you asked was about the salary. To me, it's just a number right? Like none of us a year from now are going to be worried about the $7.1 million. Ryan Poles isn't going to be worried about it. Maybe the McCaskey family at some point worries about it a little bit, but it's just a number. You you pick up that number to get a deal done in a way that allows you to become closer to building a championship contender. And so, so I, I just, it doesn't, have a high level of significance to me. It's, it's just, it's economics, it's finances. It's something that they can put on books that, that no one who watches football on Sunday will, will care about long-term. The last thing is, is the fourth rounder, right? And I was surprised given the production that you cited just a few minutes ago that Robert Quinn has had in 2022, that they were able to get a high day three pick back, right? A, a fourth rounder that you can now use again to try to find a, a a long-term difference marker for this franchise. I had been hearing sort of earlier in the month that, that maybe there'd be some sixes out there. For the Bears for Robert Quinn, and that's why when we had the previous discussion about what what activity are the Bears going to have at the trade deadline, it was about who were going to be the buyers and what were they going to have in their wallet. I didn't see a four coming back for a guy who had one sack this year, and so to get that, it, I think Ryan phrased it perfectly in saying it made too much sense, right? You can't pass on that, right? You probably couldn't have passed on a fifth if that's where it landed, and so so you you, you pull the trigger on that right away, and it and it in my opinion delays any worry of boy, did we wait six months too long to make this deal? Because I don't know that they were going to get a three back in April or May or June. And so, uh, you know, to get the four, I think you you pump a fist and, and, and you deal with the emotions that come with sending a respected leader out of your locker room,
3: given his age, given his production and given his salary, This probably was the best you could have hoped for in dealing him and getting the return that you got and getting him to a contender. This is win-win. The Bears get their draft pick for a team in rebuilding mode, and the Eagles get their edge rusher to maybe be their version of Von Miller that the Rams got last year, and look what happened to them, and that's the aspirations they have in Philly. The last thing about this, I think, Dan, I want to point out is that what I liked about it is that they they were coming off uh, the highest point that any Mm -hmm. Bears team had had in in a lot of years we talked about that in a post game pod Ryan Poles uh really showed an emotional maturity that I think this new regime has kind of embodied, especially with Matt Eberflus. And I know there's a difference between the coaches and the front office, but I think in the organization, being able to pivot after such an emotional victory and understand that you are tweaking the fibers of the locker room and removing a guy as popular as Robert Quinn in the midst of this surge of momentum. And you don't know where it's headed takes discipline It takes organizational thought, and I think that Ryan Poles, it was really impressive in his ability to do this anyway. Just yeah, the victory.
0: Don't you think? I do. I, I think it takes a level of gumption. And, and Patrick Finley has sometimes asked Ryan uh, in the press conference on Wednesday evening if he worried about the timing of it, given the momentum that had been built in New England. And initially, as Pat was asking the question, I, I was thinking to myself, "Well, what you know, I mean, like, what are you supposed to do? You're a general manager." And the more I thought about it, you, you think like the trade deadline's not till next Tuesday, right? Like, right. could could you have convinced Howie? Can we just get through Dallas? right? Like, can, can we just go play this game in Dallas and, and, and try not to interrupt this surge of energy that we got from this win in new England, because it was interrupted. And that's been clear the last couple of days that that surge energy energy was interrupted by this deal. And so, so there's a lot that comes with it, but here's, here's that exchange with Pat uh, and, and Ryan that I, I thought was notable to hear
1: Ryan's response to that. This, you know, when I talk about the kind of the emotional part, that definitely is. I, I, I value, I think I've talked about that a lot, the locker room and what it means in the culture. Um, and it, it sucks to, to mess with that, to be completely honest with you. Um, but again, my job was to do what's best for this organization, not only now, but in the future. So I felt like that was the best move for us to make.
0: So there you have it, right? It's a, it's a, it's a guy who's seeing the long view and and doing so with a level of, of conviction in the way he the way he does things.
3: I'm impressed and it's a big move and I think he explained it well without trying to take what would be a victory lap and I just think that it was an awkward situation given the fact that they had, they won a game and they were on a high and he deals one of the more respected guys, maybe the most respected guy in that locker room. I love a couple details about this. Number one, that Robert Quinn gathered the team together before it was official and warned them that this was coming and said, this might be the reality. And he gave people kind of a sense and he prepared them for the gravity of the situation. And we saw from Roquan Smith, that this is going to strike some people harder than others because of the relationships that exist. This is still, you know, a bunch of human beings kind of trusting each other, relying on each other and spending a lot of time around each other. And those friendships
0: mean something. So a couple last thoughts on that topic. And and before we move on, number one, uh, you heard from Alan Williams today, right? And he had to address trying to regather his defense after losing a guy that meant a lot to a lot of guys in that room. And he said, look, People will say this is a business, but I see it as a people business. And so uh, how do you put your emotions aside? His, His response was you don't you let your emotions flow you, you let them come out and then you and then you get yourself reset and refocus the best you can to handle that day's business which lead into that week's business which lead into sunday's business against the dallas cowboys and so i thought it was a very a human approach from alan williams that's important at a time like this to get get people steady to not judge them for feeling the way they feel to let them let that out and and roll with it and move forward from it and you heard from travis gibson today of of, of the things that he took away from robert Quinn. we talk about production right travis gibson will tell over three years, the the O-line tendencies that he was taught by Robert Quinn, the techniques, the ability to find a new daily approach to being a professional football player, the ability to uh, calibrate a mental stability to to the ups and downs of this league. And those are the things that, that people that just watch the games on Sunday on TV don't realize percolate through a locker room right and percolate through a unit like the defensive line group is and so so that part of things is really notable the way guys are going to feel that but i'm glad that the bears coaching staff is 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 hitting this head on and not just pretending that this is a transaction and moving to the side and that no one feels anything because it helps you resonate with the room
3: quickly before we move on so there will be questions about whether or not ryan poles is done David Montgomery's in the final year of his contract. There will might be some interest in him. I think they'd be more likely to ha- hammer out an extension after the season, hold on to a guy that's been productive and is good in the room as well. What do you think about his trade value? And where in the world are these rumors coming up <laughs> asking about Eddie Jackson's trade value? You just got Eddie Jackson fixed. Why would you want to get rid of him now? The secondary looks special. You don't want to trade him, do you, Dan?
0: Well, you heard Ryan Paul single him out as one of the guys that he trusts as one of the leaders to take this team forward. It would be silly to bring up a guy on one day and a couple of days later, send him packing. I think Eddie Jackson has been incredibly valuable to the development of Jaquan Brisker. That's not to be lost in this. I, is, he's not going anywhere. I don't think either the running backs are going anywhere. This Bears team, as we'll mention in a little while, is on a historic pace running the football. You don't want to disrupt that either. You wanted to be, this season, you wanted to be functional and competitive. And at this point, trading Robert Quinn allows you to do that that, but trading too many more guys does not. And so you don't want to mess with that. One more thing I want to say before we turn the page on the Robert Quinn topic. Last winner, Robert Quinn was the co-winner of the Jeff Dickerson Good Guy Award, which is given every year by the the PFWA Chicago chapter to the, the, the player or players inside the building that. Bring a professionalism and availability and a candor to their interactions with the media. And Robert Quinn was a really fun guy to get to know over the last two years. I say two and not three because he got here during the pandemic. And the first season, all of our interactions with Robert Quinn were over Zoom. And it's easy to kind of misinterpret a guy's personality over Zoom where you say, man, that guy seems like he's kind of standoffish. I'm not really sure that he's engaged in this. And then you get in the same room with them in 2021 and 2022 and back in the locker room with them this year and you get to know him as a person and you understand that Robert Quinn is this dude that is really down to earth for a player of his achievement level he's so humble so polite so open and introspective it it just absolutely refreshing to be around him and so he when he won the Jeff Dickerson good guy award winner last year we talked to him in the media room here at the PNC center and one of the questions that we asked was why at that stage of his career it was still important to him to have a level of engagement with the media. And here was his very colorful and very humorous response.
1: It's like a man got two things, and, uh, and then that's, that's his words and his nuts, and you don't want to lose either as a man. So as a, I try to be as honest as I can when I talk to people
3: that's honest <laughs> just the that's best honest. right like yeah. a
0: man's got two things his words and his nuts and, and and as we know on the take the north podcast we take both of those things very very seriously
3: sounds like a t-shirt and you wish robert quinn nothing but success i hope he goes to philly and wins a ring that'd be great.
0: robert quinn will be back here in december when the eagles come to play that's so right <laughs> there right. will be a return
3: awesome all right it's time now to move on to our numbers game Okay, Dan, every week in the Chicago Tribune, chicagotribune.com, you have a, a, an array of numbers that tell the story about what to expect. Before we get to our predictions and bring bringing Adam, What about uh, the numbers game? Which is the first one that you think is worth paying attention
0: to? All right. The first one I give you today, David, is 2,974. That is the rushing yardage total of the 1984 Walter Payton-led Bears single-season franchise record. Walter Payton had 1,684 yards in that season. That was the second-highest total of his illustrious career. The Bears, the current Bears, on pace. For 3,077 yards for this season, in the 17-game season, it will allow them to pass that single-season total if they stay on this pace. That is astounding. I asked Cole Komet about that in the locker room today. He's like, look, I know there's a lot of concern about our passing game, but when you have that kind of production in the running game, lean into it, right? Lean into it, and eventually the passing game will catch up a little bit. That's a, a, a pretty mind-boggling number to wrap your head around with what they're doing right now with the the trio of, of really Fields, Montgomery, and Herbert. What's
3: remarkable is that they're able to be number one in rushing in the NFL seven games into the season with an offensive line that's been very maligned and came into the season full of question marks, some of which still exist. And unsettled,
0: number, right? Like shaking up. Very unsettled,
3: <laughs> not having the same five on a, on a regular basis. Number two, you don't have a dominant running back. The most important runner to in person to your running game is your quarterback which is very unusual very unorthodox and yet you are leading the NFL in rushing and three this is a different era and I think that you have now an opportunity to establish an identity you want to lean into the fact that you are one of the best teams running the football and I loved hearing Matt Eberflus talk about how and he wasn't a veiled shot at Matt Nagy this is just who he is saying there are some coaches that talk about committing to the run and there are others that do it and basically saying it without saying it he's one that that does it and Luke Getzey does it and they are I mean it's one of the reasons that they won against the Patriots it's one of the things that they do best this season so congratulations number one in the league so far Russian.
0: Matty Bruce also said and I thought this was notable if subtle that that Offensive line coach Chris Morgan and assistant offensive line coach Austin King were calculated hires back in the winter because they know how to commit to the run. They know how to teach it to their players, and they've had success doing it. And so that's an, it goes back to, to, to sort of this 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 attention to detail and this vision and making sure that your philosophies are supported by the people you bring in as subordinates to lead your program. And so that was not lost on me, that, that, that those two guys have gotten results out of, as you said, an offensive line that's been shaken up repeatedly, and they continue to have success running the football
3: i love the focus on the position coaches having an impact on the position players and how that is leading to success collectively as a unit. And then as a team, what's your next number?
0: 29. That's the sack total of the Dallas Cowboys. You don't have to go down the list very far to find them. They are number one in the NFL with 29 sacks. Micah Parsons has eight of those, the Chicago bears, 27 sacks allowed. Justin Fields is the most sacked quarterback in the NFL in 2022. The formula tells you, uh uh-oh, you're going to have some difficulty protecting your quarterback on Sunday. So if you're Luke Getze, you better get creative. You better find answers. You better get extra help. You better find ways to protect Justin because, my goodness, this is a relentless defense playing against an offense that has obviously shown that it can, can give up sacks in a hurry.
3: Uh Oh, is the operative word. We have to let you know that Thursday uh, at practice for the Cowboys, Micah Parsons was on the injury list and limited because of his shoulder situation. You wonder where that is headed. Dan, I want to ask you this. They move him around a lot. He'll line up in the a gap. He'll line up on either edge. If you had to think that there there's one area where the Cowboys will try to exploit with Micah Parsons, where might that be?
0: Look, I I I think it's everywhere, right? And I think that's what Dan Quinn loves. It's the ability to 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 from play to play, series to series, keep the offense off balance by moving them around and saying, look, like we can we can try different things to create that pressure. Now, Justin Fields on Wednesday noted that the Eagles did a a nice job slowing Parsons down a little bit by by essentially making him the read defender on some zone read stuff, right? And so with the skill set that Justin has and the more design runs that the, the Bears folded into the offense against the Patriots, now all of a sudden maybe you can do that a little. A little bit and, and make him be a guy that has to uh, think a little bit and not just be coming full bore to take the quarterback's head off. And so we'll see what, what Luke gets. can come up with. He was very clear on Thursday in saying, look, you better figure out where that guy's at. You may have to put some plans in that don't allow you to know where he's going to be from play to play, but you better know where he is and who's responsible for him. Otherwise you're in big, big trouble. And so I think he's embracing that challenge and now he's got to, got to rise to the occasion.
3: Micah Parsons might be the only guy on the Cowboy defense who could catch Justin Fields if he gets away. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're right and and yeah I mean they've got some difference makers Demarcus Lawrence still up front you've got Trevon Diggs on the back end this defense is really really good and, and we talked about this the other day that coming off that, that 33 point outburst against the Patriots this is not the matchup you wanted to follow up with the Bears are going to just have to, to, to figure out what they can do with it and, and it's a test for Luke it's a test for Justin Fields and don't forget Dan Quinn was one of the three yeah. finalists yeah. for the head coaching job here so he may want to have a, a little say uh, on Sunday afternoon as well.
3: What's your other number?
0: Final number 16.0. That's the punt return average of Cavante Turpin. Ooh, good one. That he also has a 24.6 kickoff return average. He's third in the league in both those categories. Had a 52-yard return against the Lions on punt return on Sunday in the preseason, David. 86-yard touchdown on a punt return, 98-yard touchdown on a kickoff return. Bears special teams coordinator Richard Hightower said this guy's electric. He's got an ability to start and stop. He's fearless. The Bears are going to have to be solid in the third phase on Sunday to have any chance of pulling an upset.
3: All three phases were sound against the Patriots. That's one of the big reasons they won. We'll talk about Kyra Santos. He has his own segment this pod. Can't <laughs> wait to get to that because of his importance as the NFC special teams player of the week. Dan, before we get to our predictions, I do want to ask you this hypothetical. We talked about it on the Mully and Haw show. And and it just came to me because Micah Parsons was drafted after Justin Fields. Uh, Justin Fields went 11th to the Bears. Micah Parsons was still on the board. He went 12th to the Cowboys. They're very similar athletes, explosive in college. Parsons at Penn State fields at Ohio state Parsons opted out. He dropped. Do you ever wonder in this you know hypothetical world that we often live in, what it would have been like had the bears taken Micah Parsons instead of Justin Fields. And had they taken Micah Parsons instead of Justin Fields, would the franchise be closer to winning a super bowl?
0: Listen, uh, I lived through 2014 when the Chicago bears were really, really excited to bring Aaron Donald to Hallis Hall as their first round draft pick. And Aaron Donald went one pick ahead of Kyle Fuller. Right, and Phil Emery did not get to 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 get the player that he was longing for. Right, so of course you think about those things, right? Particularly when it's when it's generational difference-making talent, and you, and you wonder, man, what what if what could have been? I would like to. I remember in in the weeks leading up to the draft, you know, you didn't know if the Bears were going to have a chance to swing at a quarterback. Right, you remember it was kind of like, oh man, they're not in the the ideal position at, at pick number twenty to get a first round quarterback. So who are the other players that make sense there? And I remember hearing. Some buzz in NFL circles about look, keep an eye on Micah Parsons. This guy's going to be special. I'd like to go find maybe the capsule that I wrote leading in the draft. I'll send it to studs. We can post it because I, 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 there was like three or four people, you know, buzzing about look out. If this guy gets down to you, uh, you know, at 20, the Bears were picking 20 at the time. You can't pass on them for what they need. Uh, Difference making talent. Obviously, the Bears at that point were so desperate to address their quarterback situation with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace trying to save their jobs that they had no other choice, but to jump up and do what they could do to get Justin Fields. But the question you ask is a good one because one of those sliding door situations on what might've been right.
3: Yeah. Because if you redraft the 2021 draft class, there's no doubt in my mind, Micah Parsons would be number one because he is this generation's Lawrence Taylor. And I know it's only been a season and a half. But he is this generation's Lawrence Taylor. (laughs) And I think we have seen enough evidence of his athleticism. If he was an edge rusher solely, he would lead the league in sacks. If he was a middle linebacker, he would lead the league in tackles. He does both. And the fact that he's such a dual threat is what makes him special. So, okay, I have a little bit of a – uh, an infatuation with impactful <laughs> defensive players, but it was just worth noting before moving on, because I think that the numbers speak for themselves. And certainly you'll see Sunday, the versatility that he affords Dan Quinn makes Dan yeah. Quinn seem a lot smarter.
0: No question. And Dan Quinn is smart to begin with, and he doesn't need a, a player of Parsons caliber to seem smart. And you're right. He, he seems as smart as can be in the league when you've got that guy to move around and and really, really terrorize opposing offenses.
3: All right. Let's bring in Adam Sadzinski, our ace producer for our predictions. Let's start with Studs. Boy, I wonder which direction he's going.
2: <laughs> I might shock you with this one, actually, guys. So I, right. uh, I, uh, I I will just be straight up honest with you. I picked I got the Cowboys winning this one. I didn't give much consideration to picking the Bears because the Cowboys are just the better team. The defense. You're
3: so mature now. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I know.
3: Hey, look, Eight weeks on know, the
2: podcast and he's they, he's down to earth. Hey, look, if they they win this one, I'm just gonna start picking them every week. <laughs> <laughs> and it, like I try to be a little bit logical with this, and instead of what Shane does on the on Six Seventy score.com and just arbitrarily pick the Bears in a blowout every time but i i we call so, that the Rosenbloom, right yeah yeah right, there, yeah right that's right yeah <laughs> so uh yeah i i think I, the score i picked on the on the website there was uh 25 to 17 so i got the bears covering basically and i think that i i'm leaning towards this will be a moral victory like like what they had a few weeks ago right uh against the against the vikings, vikings yeah yeah so that's kind of how I'm looking at this game. I just think that they don't have the the tools to slow down Micah Parsons. I think they can build on what they were doing offensively on Monday night. I just – I don't think they have enough firepower to overcome a really good Dallas defense. And I think that Dak's going to be able to move the ball better than either quarterback was for New England. And, you know, plus now removing Robert Quinn from the equation, we don't know how that's going to affect anything. So – yeah, I got I got the Cowboys winning this one, but yeah, again, I think the last I just looked at the the line is plus, Cowboys minus nine and a half. I think it'll be closer than that. So yeah, but I'm I again the Bears win this one, and, and I'm just gonna pick them every week.
3: <laughs> real quick, if you're redrafting the 2021 NFL draft, are you taking Trevor Lawrence number one or Micah Parsons? Ooh,
2: I think Micah Parsons. Yeah, I'm with you. What you guys are saying because. Trevor Lawrence could still end up being really good and, you know, Jacksonville's been a, a mess, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, you can't deny the. I don't know if he's quite LT, like you were saying. I know, and you remember a few years ago when, when someone, when the Bears playing the Patriots in 2018 and somebody asked Bill Belichick about Khalil Mack and a, and a Lawrence Taylor impression. Yeah. Like, whoa, hold yeah. on a second. Yeah. Right. Okay.
3: <laughs> so, I know you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's fair and, enough. That's, I, I mean, but
2: Hey, he is, he's, you know, as far as, yeah, I, I would absolutely take him number one overall. Like, cool. yeah, because he's, he's that a in that
0: cool. So I'm with Studs here uh, with a Bears cover. I've got Cowboys 23, Bears 17. I was able to watch most of that Cowboys Lions game live on Sunday afternoon. And Dak and Prescott is still working his way back. He does not look like he is at his sharp precision uh, and form that we're used to seeing a at. So the Bears should be able to take advantage of that to stay in a game. Ultimately, you look at Parsons, you look at this Cowboys defense and how opportunistic they are. You look at the current state of the Bears' offensive line, which we'll get to in a few minutes, and you say, man, you're going to have to play near perfect to pull off an upset. Can the Bears do it? Yeah, they can. I wouldn't be stunned if they pulled off an upset. I also wouldn't be stunned if they lost by 18-19 points, uh crashing back down to earth. So this is a game Sunday that's got a, got a world of possibilities to it, and we just have to see how they respond to again a, a week that was full of, of events and emotions.
3: It's a it's the beauty of the NFL. I mean, you can't tell. Look at what happened with the Panthers and the Bucks. Nobody would see yeah. that blowout coming with a third-string quarterback and an interim head coach. So you just don't know, and that's why you watch and we love it. Okay, I think that with Ezekiel Elliott not being likely to play, that's a big win for the Bears. I don't think that Dak Prescott looked very impressive. We talked to Michael Irvin on the Mullion Haas show, and he's worried about Dak Prescott getting back into form. I said, which Dak do you want, the first or second half guy? He said neither. He <laughs> needs he needs to be the Dak that they're expecting and paying all that money to. And I think that's a good point. So. I do think the Bears will be competitive. I think Justin Fields is starting to feel it. I think he's starting to look at like, uh, you know, he's leaning into these Ravens comps. We'll talk about later the Lamar Jackson imitation, which is a good direction, I think, for him to go. It will be competitive, but I just don't know if this defense can hold up ultimately. C.D. Lamb is going to make a big play. Somewhere else in the passing game will make a big play. 29 for the Cowboys, 23 for the Bears. Close game but ultimately, I think we'll be talking about a moral victory Sunday night.
0: One other thing to keep an eye on, the Bears put the ball on the ground five times in New England, didn't lose any of them. Matty Buflus was not happy about that. Four of those fumbles were credited to Justin Fields, one to Dante Pettis on a muff punt. Take care of the football. If you have any chance to win this game, that ball cannot touch that grass at Jerry World. Dan, the ball is the ball, the ball is the, is the ball.
3: ball, and that is the important thing.
0: There's no question.
3: Those are lyrics to a song. Those are words to live by for a coach. That is what we heard this week from Matt Deverfalooza. And those are our predictions. All right, let's move on to the special kicker portion of the program, the Cairo (laughs) Santos special. Okay, Dan, I got a big debate with a listener the other day who dared to challenge me about my contention that I love – Cairo Santos, I think he's valuable to the Bears. But if I'm forming a team, that I, 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 it's five positions before I get to kick oh, yeah. in terms of importance. Now, that said, it doesn't take anything away from what Cairo Santos has accomplished and what he means to this team. He is the NFC Special Teams Player of the Week, and you have an appreciation for him like we all do.
0: Look, he hasn't missed a field goal attempt this year. He's got 11 made. 11 attempted four for four from 50 plus, which we'll get to in a minute. And and, and it just gives you the luxury as a coaching staff of understanding that when you reach a certain spot on the field, you can take points. Even Justin Fields mentioned on Wednesday that there's a certain marking on the field. He knows before the game what the range is for Cairo Santos. And when they get there, he, he, he reminds himself, don't don't be reckless here. Right. We've already got points. Don't take a sack. Don't put the ball in harm's way. We've already got points. If we've got to hand it off here on third and eight and get six yards and set them up for an easy field goal like they did on, on, on uh, Monday night in New England, do so. And so there, there's a level of comfort that Cairo Santos' presence brings to the coaching staff and the entire operation that is, is significant, and, and it has to be recognized. The other thing I love about Cairo is he's been very, very open and introspective with us the same way Robert Quinn has been, but just letting us in on his kind of career journey and his process and how he finds – these streaks right he's in the middle of a streak right now where he hasn't missed a kick since week 14 of last year 17 made field goals in a row he set the bears franchise record in 2021 with a two season run where he made 40 field goal attempts in a row right so this is the second time in his bears career that he's on a long streak of makes and he's just been very honest about about you know sometimes for kickers you, you get on the the roller coaster and you miss a kick and and, and all of a sudden you start overthinking things and so this week, it, we had Cairo Santos, after being named Special Teams Player of the Week, in the media room, had a chance to, to visit with him for a few minutes. And I asked him about his his four-for-four four stretch on 50-yarders, because he's not a big dude at all, but his leg is very strong. And he's learned the, the technique and the processes to, to, to get the most out of himself. Here was uh, the, the exchange with Cairo on, on, on being perfect for the season and most significantly, perfect from 50-plus.
4: think about that today, actually, because uh, I think I always talk about, like, Streaks, uh, you know, th- 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 there's a lot of kick, great kickers that go through um, up and down. They're still great kickers, but there's like streaks of kicks that sometimes you miss that may that make you kind of you know, change something or or, um, or think that you're going through a, a slump. But once you get that streak again of of making kicks, and then maybe the opportunities start know easier kicks get you that streak going then start to feel better and making more kicks and then all of a sudden you're kicking unconscious and just making kicks um the thing that's happened to me um you know when I hit that streak here and then I'm on a streak now and I feel like that same the same things are happening I hit the streak and now I'm just kind of moving with what's working the routine that's working so I think throughout my career I haven't been consistent 50 pluses because I didn't get on that streak, and I feel like once I finally, I'm on that now, like, I look at a 50 yarder, it feels, you know, just like an extra point, but before, like, you, I was so eager to, anxious to get a 50 yarder, just so, I'm, I've always been confident that I, I'm good at 50 plus yarders, but my production of the games haven't been that way, so I, just, I was, like, anxious to get one in the game, to, so I can start that streak again. And sometimes, you know, that caused me to, you know, mishit the ball, being so excited that I got one. So I feel like I'm at such a good point in my career now and my rhythm um, with the snap and hold that um, it's, it's feeling like that good streak is helping on the longer kicks, too.
0: So, David, this is a guy who's in a, a perfect headspace right now as a kicker, and that's like being a golfer who gets over the ball and doesn't have a swing thought, right? And you, you, just, you know it's going down the fairway, and you don't care, and you swing, and you, and you drill it down there. Monday night, what was most notable to me is you get out to Gillette Lab Stadium, and you see this sort of – it wasn't hard, but it was a persistent mist that created some moisture in the air where you say, how's this going to affect the kicking game? And Richard Hightower, the special teams coordinator, said he went out pregame and thought, man, this might be something that creates a little bit of anxiety for for Cairo and trying to figure out how to navigate some of the wetness of of the night. And he went and started talking to Cairo and he said he could not have been in a more confident mindset and being like, I I feel like I can kick longer tonight than I normally do. I can kick 60 this direction, 58 this direction. And he was just so locked in and so ready for those conditions that all of a sudden in, in Hightower words he was a big-time force and a big-time leader for the Bears on Monday night he makes seven kicks in that game David three uh extra points and four field goals that's not to be scoffed at in a game that the Bears uh dominated in that fashion a big deal for this team going forward to have that trust that confident and for, for 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 Cairo to just be so steady mentally that he that he knows where he's at and and, and it rubs off on everyone around him
3: It's a weapon, there's no doubt about it. I think one of the best things about this pod is that (laughs) you're able to talk to guys like that and get their perspective, you know, up close and personal. And that's a great thing about having you at Hallis Hall. I liked what I heard from Kyra Santos. He sounds like a guy as steady as you would expect him to sound because of the job description. He doesn't seem like a guy who who is going to be phased by much. He just seems like a real composed professional. And he certainly has the results to back it up. Here's the other thing that's great about it to me is that what his – consistency allows Matt Eberflus to do is coach within himself mm-hmm. is to be himself as a coach I don't think that we have seen now. Matt Eberflus in every coach is going to have calculated risks that they take but I don't look at Matt Eberflus as a guy who's going to be a slave to analytics and he has to go up for it on every fourth and three or less uh, and I think that he understands the value of a field goal and he can appreciate the value of a field goal when you have a kicker as reliable as Cairo Santos is and doesn't make you live with regret, when you're going to kick a field goal, he reinforces that it's the right decision by making the field goal. So he hasn't made Matt Eberflus look like a guy who is has made a bad decision yet. And I think it's all in concert and it helps to have a kicker that you can count on to the degree the Bears count on Cairo Santos.
0: Well, you coach your team and you don't coach against a chart, right? And and that's what I think is significant about this because if it's 3rd and 12 and you're in Kansas City and, and you trust Patrick Mahomes to, to make a smart decision and a good throw and make a play on 3rd and 12, then you turn him loose. But if you've got Justin Fields and you've had struggles in your passing game, you might say, let's lean on our, our reliable running game, get as much as we can, maybe pop a surprise first down and if not, we've got three on the board and we need to take this three here. and Maybe that will change in two or three years, as this offense evolves and grows. But right now, it is what it is. And so to have those two things playing off one another, I think, it, again, it provides a level of comfort here that is not to be taken for granted.
3: Well, I am very proud of myself to devote this much time to a kicker.
0: Great stuff. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right, let's close up with our two minute drill. The two minute drill. The two minute drill. Okay, Dan, so some roster um, nuts and bolts. I think Lucas Patrick to injured reserve, Larry Borum and concussion protocol as of Thursday's practice, Byron Pringle eligible to be active on Sunday, I believe. Uh, what, where does this leave Riley Reef? Where does this leave um, anyone else on the offensive line who might get an opportunity because of the situation? What can you tell us about the depth chart?
0: Well, now all eyes are on Alex Leatherwood as well, right? Like who's going to start at right tackle if Larry Borum remains in concussion protocol? Is it Leatherwood? Is it Reef? How do you figure out that decision in a week where you're trying to account for Micah Parsons for, for 60, 70 snaps in a game or whatever it may turn out to be? This is not good news. This was another double dose of bad news for an offensive line that needs to have some shred of good news at some point, right? You already have Cody Whitehair on IR. You, you've, you've had a bench Sam Mustaver, then bring him back into a starting role. You're, you you're still kind of grooming Kevin Jenkins to be a guard after <laughs> drafting him as a tackle and trying to figure out where he fit at all on your roster. A lot of moving parts, not a great week to have a lot of moving parts. I don't know. It, will they lean towards Leatherwood and, and and put him in that moment on this stage against this defense? It wow. seems like a risk, wow. but but that's a decision the coaching staff's got to make. And, and And they've got a hard one this week with everything that's going on. So tell me I'm
3: crazy. I I know that I cherry pick my stats from PFF, but they have Tevin Jenkins rated very high in their grades. I think that he might be the highest graded Bears offensive player. Accidentally, the Bears may have stumbled onto something here. I like him at right guard. I think that he finishes blocks in a way that can be violent and nasty. And I think that when you have an offensive lineman prone to being violent and nasty, not such a bad thing. He's playing at a high level.
0: Well, we had a chance to talk to Luke Getzi today about him, and and he complimented his play style, right? And just thought that in the Patriots game in particular, there was uh, several examples of the way that that Jenkins finishes plays, and 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 guys are finishing runs downfield, and he's going down and knocking a defender off the pile. And so they they see a, a player, a young player who's still got a lot of room to grow and a lot to work on, but has bought into the the nasty play style that they want him to utilize. And so that there's uh there, there's some optimism there right i don't know um if i'd go so far as to call him their best offensive player at the same time i can't name you somebody right now that i would say 100 this guy is better right you might say herbert you might say montgomery you might say mooney at this stage but uh promising given where we were in this conversation two months ago to where we are now that, that that he's playing with the tenacity he's playing with with the productivity he's playing with and now with an offensive line that hasn't had any stability he's the one guy that that seems to be locked in Braxton Jones at left tackle as well and 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 hopefully both those guys can continue to grow because if they turn in to what the Bears think they can become well now you you, you don't have to use resources to readdress those positions.
3: Easily the most important offensive player, Justin Fields. I liked hearing him talk about copying the (laughs) Ravens. I liked hearing him compare himself to Lamar Jackson and kidding that. Well, you know what? Lamar Jackson is shiftier and quicker than him, but they would have to race to find out who is actually faster because maybe Justin Fields with his four, four speed can outrun Lamar Jackson. That said, big picture, Dan, I think this was inevitable. I think this takes advantage of a special skill set. And if you want to see Justin Fields reach his potential quicker or at all, I think you're going to have to use him as a runner the way that Luke Getze designed 10 runs for him against the Patriots. And I think you're going to see more of the same against the Cowboys. The irony is the more that you use him as a runner, I think the more you might protect him. In an odd way, because he is going to be able to control some of the contact and he's not going to be a sitting duck in the pocket. So oddly, he'll have to still protect himself, but maybe running the ball is the best way to keep him whole and eligible.
0: The Bears were a mess against the commanders from the six yard line and in and they called eight passing plays and 11 tries from there and they didn't score on any of them. And so then you get to this this point on Monday night where they turn Justin loose on a designed run from the three yard line. And and David rewatching it, I, I replayed it about five or six times because Justin makes a defender miss on the edge and cuts back inside. And as he gets to the goal line, cornerback Jack Jones of the Patriots makes a business decision if you go back and watch this in slow-mo he moves away (laughs) from justin fields and dives out of the way and then i go i go right to the patriots roster i was like let me let me see the size on this guy and okay he's giving up 53 pounds to the quarterback of the bears this is stuff we used to see with dante culpepper right where guys would be like i am not tackling that dude in close and and they would get out of the way and so that's a weapon for the bears right i remember when justin was drafted going back and running the numbers and justin fields at the time that he checked into the combine was the same size as Eddie George and ran the 40 yard dash, like a, a, a three tenths of a second faster, right? So that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with Eddie George playing quarterback. And now if you can utilize that in ways that now make the, the defense be on their heels because they don't want to tackle them, that's a weapon for you. I will say this on the Lamar Jackson conversation. There were some folks in the league last year that faced the bears. And they said, if you turn on the Justin films, the Justin Fields YouTube video, it blows your mind. You go, man, the, the highlights here are, are breathtaking. They're hard to fathom sometimes. But then you watch the game video, and there are way too many examples where he's not elusive enough. We go back to one in New York earlier this season where he he had an opportunity to cut a big run outside, and he ran right back into the middle and took a hit and, and, and had a game that was probably 20 yards shorter than it could have been if he had been more elusive and had uh, uh, more of that in his game. And so the Bears want to get him to work on that if they're going to allow him to to run the ball more with designed runs. He's not like Lamar in that regard. He's not as elusive, but he is a weapon. And so now you have to figure out how to use that weapon to the best of its ability. It's not notable what they did on Monday night. Now how do you replicate that in Dallas against a defense that's going to challenge you in a different way?
3: Great observation. on watching the tape a second time. And he did things well enough in New England for us to adjust our Justin Fields development meter. Yes, we have adjusted it. He has gone to concerned and somewhere between concerned and worried and maybe worse for some people. Right now, Dan, we have moved the needle because that performance did it for us. And now we are somewhere between fine and encouraged. <laughs> I'm probably more encouraged than you said. We need to get it more toward fine. But anyway, this is progress headed in the right direction. Troy Aikman would be happy with our conclusion
0: this is me given that that uh that status fine encouraged uh <laughs> and I, I don't say that lightly i just like i again i've been very consistent with saying that i'm going to hold justin to a very high standard because of what the bears want him to be and so for me it's stacking these things right like you can't have an encouraging half in minnesota followed up by a stinker against the commanders followed up by a really like let's get two or three weeks of these in a row and then that needle will really start to get some some momentum going in one direction and we don't have to have it shaking back and forth like we're in the middle of an earthquake
3: all right this was a lot of fun we have to finish up and wrap up so you can pack or unpack or repack or (laughs) where what stage you are in your travel because you've got to get to dallas for the final road game of a month that has been very trying for the Bears and for the people that cover the Bears. But also, Dan, let's face it, I, I, I almost hesitate to even go here. But if we talk again on Sunday night after a Bears upset victory, we'll be using the P word. Yes, we will be using the word playoffs.
0: Playoffs? Playoffs? Yeah, I mean, look, like you go through this NFC, right? And you see the number of mediocre teams that are four and three or three and four and and the struggles in Green Bay and the struggles in Arizona and the struggles here and the surprise in Seattle. And this conference is just wide open. So if the Bears do go and pull off an upset, yes, there is surprising relevance in their November. They are a surprise entrance into the, the playoff race in November before Thanksgiving. And so they should embrace that here. At this state, you know, a few years ago, when they were trying to convince themselves that that earning the seven seed for the playoffs was meaningful and that it that it was, you know, an indicator that they were headed in the right direction, that was crazy, right? That was that was just not in touch with reality. For this team at this stage, I embrace, the longer you can stay in this playoff conversation and in those in-the-hunt graphics because it allows this team to continue building with some positivity and climbing that staircase that we talk about and, and, and seeing where it can go. And so it would be fun if they could pull off the upset Sunday. I will say this, one more thing that kind of ties back to our initial discussion. Alan Williams was asked today about uh, whether he, he sees a team experiencing an emotional event Like the Robert Quinn trade and not experiencing emotional letdown. And his response was, Look, the NFL is an emotional event, right? The win on Monday night was an emotional event. Every week is an emotional event. And the key in this league to succeeding is being able to handle emotional events and being able to compartmentalize them quickly and go through the emotions and get on to the next thing. And I thought that was a really cool way of of describing it because this team is going to need to approach their business with a a level of energy and focus and concentration that's really difficult to sustain. And let's see if. They can do it.
3: You learn from covering the league long enough that every week truly is a season unto itself. And to quote John been, Fox, "Yeah, hey, it's either crisis
0: or carnival. <laughs> exactly. Everything's a problem, <laughs> as Foxy would say.
3: All right. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. You can find it on your Odyssey app, which is free, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a few housekeeping things. You can also interact with us on Twitter at Take the North Pod. You can find Dan Weeder at Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune and read his stuff at chicago-tribune.com. You can read my columns on the game at 670thescore.com or interact with me on Twitter at David Haw. And you can also find us Sunday night after the Bears-Cowboys game. We will be there for instant reaction and analysis. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. We will talk to you. Sunday night. Dan will be in Dallas. I will be watching the game in writing and you will be wrapped with uh, attention, anticipation, and all Bears fans are wondering what's going to happen next. We'll be here to break it down. Thanks for listening.
0: Great pregame spread in Dallas. Great talk. See you out there.